Unity Water is proud to sponsor this podcast series because we believe great news, great solutions and great outcomes deserve to be shared. See what we're all about at unitywater.com. You're listening to the Australian Water Association's podcast series. I'm Hazel Flynn and joining me now is Andrew Rizicki, civil engineer with KBR, here to talk about virtual reality training. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks, Hazel. Nice to be here. So other industries, including defence and offshore oil and gas, have been using virtual reality tools for a decade or more. Has the water industry been as quick to see the possibilities? In a sense, um, it hasn't been as quick to see the possibilities, but at the same time, um, I'd like to dispel the notion that the water industry may have done anything wrong in that sense or has been particularly slow. Um, in reality, there are other industries that saw a more commercially viable product prior to water having that clear opportunity, which is perfectly reasonable. But what it does do is it reframes how we can approach virtual reality because we have a whole heap of prior examples. We can start to look at that and we can start to adapt. So it's really those two key words, adaptation over innovation in this case. Interesting. And there's some good neuroscience around, isn't there, about why VR is better than, say, looking at a 3D model on a screen? Yeah, I've got a few references in my paper around that, but there are some psychological studies that uh, seem to indicate that when you have a VR headset on, what you're experiencing or how your brain responds to it is much closer to a true-to-life situation than anything you could project onto a screen in front of someone. So what that does is it, it creates a differentiating factor between virtual reality and between anything that you might have on a screen, a 3D model or something like that. Um, so it's got, it's got real power in being able to create an immersive experience for the user. So when I, um, one example we had is a floating LNG ship and there's a very tall spire um, and I was playing around in the VR model and I went all the way to the top of this spire and when I looked over the edge I was really fearing for my life. <laughs> so, so um, and in fact the guy said you can walk off the edge if you want and it took all my um, strength and willpower to, to walk off the edge and just be floating in space there. So if you were to see that on a screen it wouldn't provoke that same response in your brain. So that's where we have a, a power that we can harness. Terrific. And Melbourne Water was really interested in exploring the possibilities. How did they go about it? Mm. Um, and yeah, full credit to them for identifying the issues, uh, identifying these um, treatment plants. Um, so they identified it to us in a preliminary sense. We're now seeing a lot, um, a lot more applications in the two that I talked about in the paper. Um, but they initially approached us within the context of two projects that were during the design phase. One was the Winnicky treatment plant, which was a sodium hypochlorite dosing plant, and that was in the functional design phase, so an earlier design phase of, uh, prior to a more detailed design, which would typically take place 
um, prior to drawings being ready for construction. So that was quite an early design phase um, and that was the first one they identified to us for use in a safety in design kind of scenario. The other one was quite similar, that was the Cardinia treatment plant um, and that was also identified to us but during the design and construct phase of, of that project and they were both utilised for safety in design purposes. Did it present more challenges that they were at such an early stage or was that actually better for you? No, it just meant that it could be, um, issues could be resolved earlier. So the sorts of issues that we found were very, very simple to design out at an early phase, whereas the, the further you progress the design, or even if you find something during the construction phase, it gets more and more expensive to have to backtrack and start to rework your design. So I would say the opposite. So describe the services that you actually provided. Um, how did you go about with each of those sites turning it into a virtual reality? So we utilised um, hardware and software that's freely available on the market. Uh, it's a fairly simple process. We used a HTC Vive headset in our case. They retail for about a couple thousand dollars for the enterprise edition um, and the software that we utilised is the Unity engine, which is also a very accessible software that can be used to port a 3D design model, which we already would have created anyway. A bit of extra rendering and object placement and that sort of thing was applied, and then we could use that engine to port it over to a virtual reality experience. Um, so. I don't know the ins and outs of it in a huge amount of detail because we have a team in Canberra that worked on that for us. Um, but I do know that it was a fairly simple process uh, based on the time it took them to turn it over and they saw what we wanted to do and said, oh yeah, easy, we can do that. And it's interesting that the equipment itself is not at all expensive. I think a lot of people would have been thinking it was much more expensive than that, a couple of thousand dollars. That seems like a good investment, particularly given the way the trial unfolded. So what did people see through those virtual reality headsets and what was the result? People saw a lot of space constraint related hazards. That was what we tended to find. Um, so really simple things like walking up to a valve cabinet and knowing if you're turning a valve at a reasonable sort of height or if you're turning a valve at a height that seems a bit low. And when you say walking yeah. up to it, they popped the headset on and yeah. then it was as if they were in that facility, as they, if it had already been built. Yeah, they literally walk up to it. Um, obviously, when you put a VR headset on, you can't walk unless you have a room that's as big as the model, you can't walk everywhere. Um, so you can also point and shoot with the controller. Um, that, that's applicable to most VR headsets you see on the market. Um, so you can point and shoot and you can move around within a, a small space. But yeah, you could quite literally walk up to that cabinet. And that's, that's why that's so easy to just walk up to it and it immediately jumps out at you. That doesn't quite look right. Why don't we change that? Whereas you, you're looking at sets of 2D design drawings and trawling through those, it 
just doesn't jump out at you in the same way. And often, numerically, it can look fine on paper, but when you're there, you can see that the space is a bit tight or something like that. So that's, that was a big area. You were able to actually prove that, weren't you? Because there were specific design issues that were picked up using the VR that hadn't been picked up at all in the previous uh, drawings and modellings. Yeah, well, in the case of the Winnicky treatment plant in particular, we actually had two separate rooms where we had safety and design running in a traditional sense in one room with a set of 2D design drawings. And we had the VR headset and the model set up in another room. And we found that there was, uh, yeah, fairly, we identified significantly more hazards from the VR headset, headset alone than we did using the structured um, approach that the traditional safety and design meetings tend to operate by. Do any of those um, examples come to mind? Are there anything that you can think of that would have been missed and then would have had to have been dealt with once the building was actually constructed? Um, as I said, there was, um, there was that example of uh, walking up to a valve cabinet earlier. That was, that was not theoretical. That actually happened <laughs> in Winnicky. Uh, so it, in that case, it was just a little bit too low and we, we raised it up at a very early design stage. Um, we also moved a couple safety showers around that again sort of looked okay on paper, but when you're in there, you can see that the space just feels a bit tight. So you move it somewhere else, move it to a corner that looked like a better space in the VR model. So there are a couple of simple examples. There were sort of some more complex ones that would be a bit more difficult to explain, but those were the sorts of things that we, we were finding. And not only are you avoiding risk by doing this process, but you're actually also saving money, of course, aren't you? Yeah, ab absolutely. So that's, that's one element of it. Um, normally, you would have to issue a set of drawings to the client and to any key personnel. And those personnel would have to take a bit of time to familiarise themselves with the drawings. Um, so you'd be limited in the number of people that could participate and you would have to potentially spend a fair bit of time making sure that you understood what you were going through if you wanted to have meaningful input during the meeting as well. And I mean that was just that was just the industry doing the best it could with the tools it had available at the time and it was still a very it was still a, a very structured process and you would typically run through keywords and things like that to try and think of every sort of hazard you could see, but it just isn't as efficient as the emerging technology that we're seeing. Mm. So it sounds like there's lots of potential for use in, of VR in the water industry as a whole. I would, I would definitely say so. And again, you can get back to that adaptation um, over-innovation kind of philosophy because we can already see that there have been full training kinds of applications that have taken place in other industries that um, KBR have done. Our, our own team in Canberra has produced training applications for military, um, for military scenarios um, and for there was a 
uh, rail scenario as well, Hornsby Junction, um, that started as a 3D model and progressed right the way through to a full training simulation for, for drivers. Um, so there's, it, it, it would be hard to see this being the end point for virtual reality. There, there's a lot more that could be identified and I think the industry as a whole can, can really leverage from that and really start to look at how we can utilise those sorts of technologies. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming in in real life to talk to us about VR and all of its potential. <laughs> thanks. It would have been good to have an interview in VR, but... <laughs> well, that was uh, in real life, Andrew Rizicki, civil engineer for KBR. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>